Tonight we're going to be studying 1 Samuel chapter 25, which tells us about the life of Abigail, a woman who was beautiful on the inside as well as on the outside. Because of time constraints, uh, we won't be reading all 44 verses, uh, but I will cover most of them. As I first read through the chapter, my first thoughts were, wow, talk about opposites. And two people couldn't be more opposite than Nabal and Abigail. And to me, the relationship seemed rather oxymoronish, if that's such a word. You know, like jumbo shrimp, or cold hot dog, or true lies, or original copy. You know, words that have contradictory meanings, but they're put together to form a new word. Nabal and Abigail were united in marriage, but they were so opposite in character and in disposition. But we'll see how God can work mightily in the life of a woman who is humble and submissive to him, no matter what her circumstances may be. So before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, we just come before you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. And Lord, we just thank you for these studies. They're so rich, Father, and they have so many nuggets and lessons that we need to learn as, as your daughters. And so I ask, Lord, that you would just be with us tonight, Father, that you would open our hearts and our ears to receive what you have for each and every one of us, Father. Help us to be sensitive to your word and just allow us to invite you in, Father. Have your way in our lives, Father God. Change us through this study. And may it just give you all the glory, Father, and all the praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Tonight, I want us to look at three aspects of Abigail's life. We're going to look at Abigail's marriage, Abigail's godly character, and Abigail's rewards. So let's first look at Abigail's marriage. The setting for 1 Samuel uh, chapter 25 is given in verse 1. And as the chapter opens, uh, we see that Samuel has died. Now, Samuel, remember, was the son of Hannah, who we studied last week. And um, he was also a prophet and the last judge of Israel. And it was Samuel who was sent to anoint David as the future king of Israel. And David was close to Samuel, and Samuel would often give him wise counsel. And so at the opening of the chapter, we read that the Israelites have gathered together to mourn for Samuel, and they're going to bury him at his home in Ramah. Verse 1 also mentions David. Now, David, in chapter 24, had just had an encounter with King Saul in a cave um, up in En Gedi. And after this encounter with King Saul, verse 1 says that David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran, which is located in the Sinai Peninsula, southwest of the Dead Sea. So let's look at verses 2 and 3. They say, Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel, and the man was very rich, and he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. 
and he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. The name of the man was Nabal, and the name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. He was of the house of Caleb. Now, here in verses 2 and 3, we're given, we're given a lot of information about Abigail's, Abigail and Nabal and about their marriage. He was a sheep master who lived in a city called Maon, but he pastured his sheep um, in the city of, or in the pastures of Carmel. And he was a wealthy sheep master, and we know that because it said, the text says he had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats, and that was a lot of animals. His name was Nabal, which means empty person or fool. And we'll see later on in the chapter how appropriate that name actually was. We also read that um, Nabal was from the tribe of Judah and from the family of Caleb. And I found it interesting to note that Caleb, if you remember, had been selected by Moses to be one of the 12 men or the spies that they sent out into the promised land before the Israelites were to go into it. And only he and Joshua came back with a good report. The other 10 came back and said, oh, no, we can't go in there. There's giants in the land. It's scary. No, we can't do that. But Caleb was excited about it, and he said, yes, we can. Si se puede. Caleb was known for his courage. He was eager to go into the promised land to take possession of it because he saw that it was a land of milk and honey and had wonderful fruit. Remember, they brought back some of the grapes and everything and figs, I believe. And so he was confident that the Lord would give them the ability to overtake their enemies, even if they appeared to be giants. Caleb was also known for his consecration to the Lord. And in Deuteronomy 1.6, it says that Caleb wholly followed the Lord. And so I found it interesting that Nabal was even extremely opposite to his forefather, Caleb. The text also says that Nabal was harsh and evil in his doings. And later on in verse 17, Nabal will be described as a scoundrel, which is an unprincipled, dishonorable person, a villain. It's also interesting to note that verse 17 in the King James Version describes Nabal as a son of Belial, which in the Hebrew refers to evil people who deliberately broke the law and despised what is good. I personally think that son of Belial more accurately describes Nabal's character. And then in stark contrast, you see Abigail, who's described as a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. Now, David Goodzig, who's a Calvary Chapel pastor in Santa Barbara, he notes in his commentary on this uh, section that the Bible gives Abigail great praise when it says she was of beautiful appearance because the only other women who have this Hebrew phrase applied to them are Rachel in Genesis 29:17 and Esther in Esther 2:7. And I thought, wow, Abigail's in good company. And of course, this makes us stop and wonder, 
How in the world did Abigail end up with the likes of Nabal? And um, most of the commentators believe that their marriage was probably an arranged marriage, which was quite common in those days. You know, her parents probably wanted to marry her off to a rich man so that she'd be well uh, provided for and possibly them too. Uh, We don't know. And there's still countries today that have arranged marriages, you know, especially in Asia and in the Middle East. And most women in those marriages are treated more like slaves uh, and property, you know, which can be used and abused rather than as wives or helpmates. Um, We could suspect that Abigail might have been uh, an abused wife, being that she was married to a man who loved to drink and uh, party and had a bad temper. But the the scriptures don't um, address that issue. And as we've learned here, Pastor X has always said, where the scripture is silent, we should be silent. Um, Those of you who are married need to be thankful every day that Jesus has given Christian women a place of dignity and purpose within a marriage. And also that here in America, or at least for now, we do have laws that protect women who are in abusive marriages. So here we get a glimpse of Abigail's marriage. She was beautiful and wise, but her husband, though he was rich, is described as a scoundrel, as a son of Belial. And Nabal must have been very difficult to live with. And he probably caused her a lot of heartache and caused a lot of problems and fear for his household. Proverbs 6, 12, and 14 say, A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Only God could have given Abigail the wisdom to know how to endure in this difficult marriage. Perhaps she knew that God alone could rescue her. And perhaps she had decided to wait for his deliverance, keeping herself ready and alert. So this brings us to the second aspect of Abigail's life, Abigail's godly character. Verse 2 mentions that Nabal was shearing his sheep in Carmel. Now, sheep shearing time uh, was a season of intense labor, and it required many men, especially for 3,000 sheep. You would need a lot of workers. And sheep shearing occurred twice a year, in the spring and in the fall. It was also a time of celebration and thanksgiving to God for the um, harvest of the wool, because that was going to bring in a lot of money. And it was customary during this time to extend goodwill beyond the usual hospitality that the Israelites were known for. Also during this time, since so many men were needed for the shearing process, that meant there were fewer men left to guard the sheep and guard the shepherds. So the Thefts of animals and wool occurred, usually by the Philistines. And wild animals also came around more often because there were less guards for the sheep. So with this in mind, let's look at verses 4 to 9. It says, When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David sent ten young men 
Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace to you, peace to your house, and peace to all that you have. Now I have heard that you have shearers. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. Ask your young men, they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes, for we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to your servants and to your son, David. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. So here we see that David and his loyal band of 600 mighty men were in Nabal's neck of the woods as David was continuing to hide out from King Saul. And David probably had to provide food for them, or they all looked as a group. And though David and his men could have resorted to stealing, um, they did not, because David tried to maintain a code of ethical conduct. Remember, Scripture says he was a man after God's own heart. Uh, When David heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep, David, along with his men, decided to work as these additional protectors of Nabal's flock, hoping to receive some kind of recompense, being that it was a special feast time and these sheep masters tended to be a little more giving, a little more gracious. And we can see that David's actions were of good motives because, first of all, the service that David and his men performed was a worthy and a valuable service for Nabal. It saved him, you know, a lot of lost money by um, means of lost sheep and maybe injured shepherds. In protecting Nabal's flock, they risked their own lives to do it. And none of Nabal's flock was lost, nor were any of his shepherds hurt. When David sent his ten messengers to Nabal to inform him of their service, he told the men explicitly to speak to Nabal very humbly and respectfully with a greeting of warmth and kindness and with a reminder that uh, the traditions of, you know, generosity were at this time during this feast uh, harvest time. David also didn't demand a certain amount of money but he left it up to Nabal's generosity. And he probably thought, you know, surely a wealthy man could spare a few animals for our food, being that we did all the services for him. So then David's men waited for a reply. Let's look at verses 10 to 13. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So David's young men turned on their heels and went back, and they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded on his sword, and David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. And the only thing I could think of was (laughs) O-M-G. 
Clearly, Nabal was a fool to underestimate David's strength and his ability as a great warrior and as a leader of mighty men. And I believe that Nabal had to know that who David was, because David was famous throughout all of Israel. And we'll see later that even Nabal's servants knew who he was, knew of his fame, knew of his capabilities. But I believe Nabal wanted to, I keep wanting to say Nabal. Uh, Nabal wanted to insult David. And uh, perhaps Nabal favored King Saul. And he was convinced maybe that uh, David had been a bad servant to Saul. And so now he was going to take advantage of this opportunity to get even with David himself. We just don't know. But Nabal, in insulting David, actually showed forth his own selfishness and ingratitude and lack of generosity. Notice in verse 11, Nabal says, Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed from my shears? You know, Nabal mentions everything as being his. And he gives the Lord absolutely no thanks, no credit for anything that he has. Nabal should have remembered what Moses told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 19. He said, beware if they should say in their heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. And we need to ask ourselves, am I diligent in giving God thanks for all that I have, be it little or be it much? James reminds us in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. You know, as Christians, we are to walk with the Lord in an attitude of gratitude. And when we have that thankfulness within us every day, it really stops us and prevents us from going into some of these sins like bitterness you know, anger. Thankfulness really goes a long way, and it, it really makes a difference. So David's men went back and informed David of Nabal's insulting response, and David immediately let his anger get the better of him. And he told his 400 men to gird on their swords, and he put on his, and he was going to go down there and just wipe them out. David's response to Nabal's insults was rash and thoughtless. He was about to respond in a way Pastor X always says is 100% beef. Warren Wearsby, one of my favorite commentators, says of David here, David was a godly man and a gifted leader, but the best of men are but men at their best. David was fully responding in his flesh, wanting to return evil for evil. And we need to ask ourselves, how do I respond when someone insults me or seeks to do me harm? 
You know, if I'm insulted with words, am I quick to throw back a zinger? Do I engage them in yelling and arguing? If someone seeks to harm me, am I quick to pay them back in the same way or maybe in a more hurtful way? Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 44 and 45, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Proverbs 15:18 says, A wrathful man, or we could say a wrathful woman, stirs up strife. But she who is slow to anger allays or calms contention. Not returning evil for evil can be difficult at times, but always possible with the Lord's help if we would go to him first. Now let's look at Abigail's response to this, this stressful situation. Let's read verses 14 to 17. Now one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as uh, we accompanied them when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you will do, for harm is determined against our master and against all our household, all his household. For he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. So notice, first of all, that one of uh, Nabal's servants told Abigail of the situation with David's men and that Nabal had reviled them. And I found it interesting that that word reviled in the literal Hebrew relates the image of a shrieking bird of prey as it swoops down to tear its victim. You know, in some of those old... Uh, um, caveman movies, you see those big old birds and they come down, they have that real shrill, shrieky noise just before they go and hit their victim. Well, that's what that word reviled means here. That's how Nabal was using it. You know, he, he intentionally inflicted those insults toward David and he meant to tear at David's heart. The servant went on to tell Abigail, Abigail how um, David and his men had actually done much good. You know, they protected the shepherds and the flocks by night and by day. None of them were harmed. But Nabal refused to give them any recompense or show them hospitality for all they had done for them. And then the servant told Abigail that David would probably retaliate for their insults, not only against Nabal, but against his whole household. And I believe that we can see here one of Abigail's good characteristics. She was a good listener. It's interesting to note that the servant didn't go to Nabal because he knew that Nabal was a wicked man and he was unapproachable. But he went to Abigail seeking help for the entire household. And here Abigail also shows that she is wise and courageous because even though it probably 
would have been considered as a violation of normal rules of conduct for a woman, she knew that she had to intervene between the anger of David and the foolishness of her husband in order to save her husband and their household. Let's look at verses 18 to 20. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five sias of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. That's quite a buffet. And she said to her servants, go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her. And she met them. So here again, we see Abigail's godly characteristics. You know, after hearing the servant's account of what David and his men had done for Nabal's shepherds, Abigail knew that she needed to be quick-thinking, and she had to act quickly in order to avert a tragedy that would happen. She also knew that for all that David and his men had done, they indeed deserved recompense. They needed some, they needed, uh, some kind of repayment for all that they did. So without telling her husband, she sets out to pay a debt that her husband refused to pay. And being the mistress of the house, she quickly put together more than enough food for David and his men. And I think this shows forth her generosity. She didn't just give them a little. She gave them more than what they needed. And she loaded the food on the donkeys. And I think was thinking, you know, wow, all the food that she managed to put away put a, you know, get together right away. Um, that's a sign they were indeed rich because she had all this stuff on hand and she probably had a lot more. This abundance of food made Nabal's refusal to share it all the worse for him. That showed forth more his own selfishness and his own greed because he had so much and he refused to share even a little with David. And so Abigail gets on a donkey herself and hurries to intercept David and his men. In verses 21 and 22, um, we see that um, David's anger towards Nabal, uh, being that he says that Nabal repaid him um, evil for good, and David basically vows to kill every male in, um, in his household. And then in verses 23 to 31, we see Abigail finally reaching David and his men. And the text shows the wisdom of Abigail once again in speaking to David. And I want you to notice all that she does. First of all, she goes to David with donkeys and packed with food. And, you know, David's angry and he's riding through the forest. And I, I imagine he's in a hurry because he's just going to do this slaughter and, you know, avenge his honor and... He sees this beautiful woman and all this food. Must have been like being in a desert and seeing a mirage, you know. Must have halted him. And like, wait a minute, what is that? You know. Um, secondly, David's anger was directed at all the males in Nabal's household. And had 
Abigail sent a male servant, David probably just would have killed him just because he was so angry. And he already had that mindset. So it was wise of her to accompany the food, even though she probably still risked the wrath of David's anger. Thirdly, she hastened to dismount from the donkey. She fell on her face before David, and she bowed to the ground. You know, it's interesting to note that Abigail Abigail didn't go before David, you know, as um, a rich, a typical rich person that we see like on TV, you know, with a sense of entitlement and demanding. You know, she didn't come that way. Rather, she made her appeal to David, showing utmost humility and coming to him as a humble servant and showing him respect by referring to him as Lord. Fourthly, she placed the blame on herself for the iniquity that was done to him. And she asked that David disregard her husband, who was a fool. Fifthly, she reminds David of his future position as king of Israel. And she reminded him that the Lord would make of him an enduring house because David fights the battles of the Lord and because evil is not found in him. And then finally, she reminds David that since the Lord would appoint him as king of Israel, it would be to his benefit to assume the throne with a clear conscience, not having avenged himself by shedding blood. But rather, she suggests to David to allow the Lord to avenge him. And so by this time, David's anger must have subsided. And he must have looked at Abigail and thought, wow, what a remarkable woman. Notice that Abigail's appeal to David lifted him up instead of beating him down. David was clearly in the wrong, but Abigail used wisdom to guide him into the right. But she didn't do it by emphasizing how wrong and angry and, you know, rash he was acting. Instead, she emphasized his calling by the Lord and asked him to consider if his present actions were consistent with that calling. F.B. Meyer says of Abigail here that she was a cool hand upon a hot head. I like that. Those of you who are married need to examine how you deal with your husband's anger and times when he is about to make a mistake. Do you attempt to lift him up and give him wise counsel? Or do you beat him down with your words? Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Verses 32 to 35 gives us David's response to all that Abigail told him. It says, Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice, and blessed are you, because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. You know, the first thing 
that David did in response to all that Abigail told him was to give God thanks. There again, we see that attitude of gratitude. He thanked God for sending Abigail to meet him. He thanked God for her advice and for allowing her to keep him from bloodshed and avenging himself. David also receives the gifts of food from her hands, and he sends her back to her home in peace, having heeded her voice and respecting her person. And we need to ask ourselves, when I am reproved or reprimanded for something, how do I accept it? Proverbs 15.5 says, She who receives reproof is prudent. Proverbs 15, 31 to 33 says, The ear that hears the reproof of life will abide among the wise. He who disdains instruction despises his own soul, but he who heeds reproof gets understanding. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. You know, sometimes reproof and being reprimanded is hard to take. And that's usually due to our pride. But if we can accept it humbly and be open to it, it can teach us so many things, and it can indeed make us wise. So we see that Abigail's character consisted of many godly qualities. She had good listening skills. She was quick thinking. She was courageous, generous, fair-minded, Concerned for the well-being of others, self-sacrificing, wise, and humble. So this brings us to the third aspect of Abigail's life, Abigail's rewards. In verses 36 to 38, we see Abigail going to talk to Nabal to tell him all that she had done. But she found him partying again and being very, very drunk. It's interesting, I thought, that, you know, here his life was in imminent danger. You know, his servants knew it, his wife knew it, but he was totally oblivious to it because he was just selfishly thinking of himself and doing his own thing. He truly lives up to his name. Nabal's idea of happiness wasn't to praise God or to feed the hungry or to do good but to eat, drink, and be merry. Nabal made no profession of faith in the Lord, but was like the enemies of the cross of Christ, which Paul described in Philippians 3.19, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So Abigail decided to wait until the next morning, And when she told him all that had happened, verse 37 says that his heart died within him and he became like a stone and he stayed in this state for 10 days. Now, scripture really doesn't say what happened to him. You know, did he have a stroke? Was he paralyzed? Uh, Was this state caused by pride and anger on learning that His wife had dared to help David without his permission. Was uh, he in such a state of shock after realizing that, you know, he almost got snuffed out in his household too? 
And did that shock cause him to be, like, disabled? Um, We don't really know. Scripture doesn't say. But what Scripture does reveal is that after 10 days, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And David Goodzig once again notes in his commentary here that Abigail's wise actions saved Nabal from David and saved David from himself, but they could not save Nabal from God's judgment. Verses 39 to 41 tells us that when David heard that Nabal was dead, he once again gave praise and thanks to God for avenging him and preventing him from killing Nabal and all of his male servants. And these verses also tell us that David sent messengers to propose marriage to Abigail. And her response was once again given in great humility. Verse 41 says, Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth, and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. So that was just part of her beauty, her humility. But I have to admit, I found it amusing that the very next verse, verse 42, it says, Abigail rose in haste. And I thought, oh, yeah, (laughs) she was ready to boogie. (laughs) She might have been thinking, yeah, Davy, I'll marry you. If we remember, 1 Samuel chapter 16 describes David as ruddy with bright eyes and good looking. And so attended by five of her maidens, she follows the messengers of David and she becomes his wife. And after all that Abigail had to endure in her marriage to wicked Nabal, God rewards her. First of all, he rewards her with relief and the joy of being set free from the yoke of such a wicked man as Nabal. Secondly, uh, he rewards her with Nabal's wealth and property near Hebron, which would become the possession of David after their marriage and where he would later establish his royal residence. She was rewarded with marriage to the future king of Israel, and she was rewarded by a son by David, whom they named Daniel, according to 1 Chronicles 3.2. As I look at Abigail's life, she truly exemplified the Proverbs 31 woman. Proverbs 31.12 says, She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. And we certainly see that in her relationship to Nabal. She did him good. Proverbs 31.20 says, She extends her hands to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. And this was seen in her generosity to David and his men. Proverbs 31.25 says, Strength and honor are her clothing. And this was evident in her confrontation with David. Proverbs 31.26 says, She opens her mouth with, with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. And we saw this as she spoke with David. Proverbs 31.27 says, She watches over the ways of her household. And we saw this as she was willing and courageous enough to protect her household and also in the abundance of uh, food that she had prepared for her household. Proverbs 31.28 says, Her husband rises up and calls her blessed, and he praises her. Well, Nabal didn't do that, but 
her future husband, David, did. He called her blessed, and he did praise her. Proverbs 31.30 says, A woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Abigail's godly character showed that she reverenced the Lord, and she is forever praised in the pages of Scripture. So we can say that Abigail was indeed a woman who was beautiful on both the outside and on the inside. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this study of Abigail, Lord. And we just ask, Father, that you would help us to apply her godly characteristics in our life, Father. Help us to examine our lives, Lord, and to um, desire to be a more godly woman for your glory, Father. And in thanksgiving for all that you do for us, Lord, on a daily basis. And so, Father, we just ask, Lord, that you would continue to do a mighty work in us, Lord. Change us. Don't leave us the way we are, Father. And I pray, Lord, for traveling mercies for each and every one of us, Lord, as we go to our homes, Father. Um, We ask for healing for those who are sick from allergies or the flu or whatever else they may have, Lord God. And I just pray, Lord, that you would give us thankful hearts, Father. Help us to be women who have attitudes of gratitude, Lord, to you principally, Lord, for 